Hey, everybody, it's Miss Tennessee USA 2017, Ali Sutton Hesco, and you're listening to Life After the Crown with Tim Tialdo. Hey, everybody, my name is Tim Tialdo, and welcome to Season 2 of the Life After the Crown podcast. Now, if you haven't had a chance to listen to any of the previous episodes, I do encourage you to go back and listen, because there are many valuable interviews that you will definitely gain some wisdom from. Now, for those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, welcome and thanks for checking us out. Each episode of Life After the Crown, I interview former pageant contestants, title holders, and women of influence who share advice and stories on how to help you succeed in the world of pageants, but more importantly, how you can flourish in the professional world once your pageant journey comes to an end. As always, I appreciate you taking the time to download this podcast. I do value your time, and I'm glad you're here listening. So let's get started. My guest today is an attorney, actor, model, and on-air host. She was born, raised, and is based in Nashville, Tennessee. After serving as Miss Tennessee USA 2017 and placing as a top 10 finalist at Miss USA, she has been going non-stop, to say the least. She graduated from the Nashville School of Law in May of 2017 and passed her state bar exam on her first attempt. She is currently practicing law part-time, working in the entertainment industry, serving as a board member for the Kindness for Kids Foundation, and producing her own television show and vlog. On October 14th, just yesterday, folks, The Perfect Race was released in theaters in multiple cities, where she reprises the role of Courtney Smith Donnelly, starring opposite Clarence Gilliard in this inspirational sports drama. Ali Sutton Hethcote, honored to have you stop by the podcast. Welcome and congratulations on your film release yesterday. Oh, thank you so much. You know, it's been a long time coming. We shot it more than a year ago. And so it's really exciting to see it's finally out there and we're finally able to share it with everybody. So I have a lot of people on that are actresses. You know, they have a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. either guest roles or, you know, maybe they're an extra or there's somebody kind of in the background. But you are the you're one of the feature actors in this movie or in this case, actress in this movie. Talk about, um, I guess, kind of how all this developed and how you got to be a feature actress in a movie. Yeah, it's a huge honor for me. This is really my first lead role in a feature and to have it distributed in theaters is is incredible. I feel so blessed to have had this opportunity. This actually all started, gosh, about five years ago now, which is unbelievable. My agent at the time sent me a casting for the first film. And the first film is called Remember the Goal. And it is about a girls cross country coach. And at the time, their coach was uh, actually supposed to be Sean Astin, and there was five runners, and like I initially auditioned. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> which is it's crazy. the The director of the film was uh, great friends with Patty Duke and had worked with her before, and really wanted you know Sean to play this part. And they were you know discussing that with him, and I was auditioning for you know one of his runners, and I auditioned for each and every one of the members of the cross country team. I did, gosh, so, so many auditions. And I think after the fifth one, I thought, you know what, this is, I don't think this is going to happen. And the director called me back and said, you know, the other girls I'm looking at for these parts, they're really 14, 15 and 16. And I think that if I threw you in the mix, you would look too much older than them, but I want to do something that's a little offbeat. I want you to read for the part of the coach. He said, you know, I have it in mind as a male coach and we've been, you know, discussing this with Sean Aston, but let's just go ahead and have you read it and let's see what happens. And so I did the audition and sent it off 
and didn't hear anything for, gosh, I think a week. And at that point, you know how it is. You you think these things are just gone kind of down the ether and maybe you're not going to hear anything. <laughs> and Dave came back and said, hey, I'd love for you to do this. He said, it's totally not what I had in mind. But once I saw your audition, you were the character. And I'm completely, completely blown back by that. And obviously so thrilled. And so we started shooting that in, I think, yeah, the summer of 2014 or 2015. Uh, I feel like that's something I should know. <laughs> but <laughs> it's totally okay. We, it, was, it was a wonderful experience. It's, you know, not often that you get to be the lead, and it's really even less often that you get to work with a predominantly all-female lead cast. So for me, that was something that was really exciting. And I was kind of the mother hen to all these younger girls who played the runners and we had a great time. And I think that's really a testimony to the great crew that we had because we were shooting outside every single day in Nashville in the summer and it got up to 106 degrees that summer, almost every single day. And we were out there from 7am to 7pm. As long as there was light, we were working. So it was definitely tough. I had 51% of the film's dialogue is what the director told me. So it was a lot of, a lot of really hard work, but I had a wonderful time. I love those people like family. And at the end of the day, when the film came out, I was so nervous to watch it in theaters, but I was really proud of what we did. And, you know, I had a lot of those, those same feelings again this time, just being nervous to see it because remember the goal came out a year after we shot it. Of course, this is coming out more than a year after we shot it. And after that long, you kind of really forget, you know, I mean, you don't forget the story, but you're like, wow, I, I kind of forget what my performance is like, or I forget what I should be expecting. And so it's as much as a surprise for me as it is everybody else that comes. And so it's a, it's a really fun and special experience. And for me, I know that it really boosted my confidence in the rest of the work that I do having that under my belt and feeling like, okay, this is, this is something that I can do and something that I definitely want to do more of. So I'm so honored. They're really special projects. And I mean, not a week goes by to this day that I don't get a message from somebody that says, hey, I love Remember the Goal. I've watched it 20 times. I watch it every time before a cross-country meet. I watch it every time before I have to go in to one of my doctor's appointments. People have really found something in the film that, that they like and is inspirational to them. And I think that for me personally as an actor, if I can create content that makes, you know, people want to do something better or make them feel good or just help them be entertained and kind of taken out of whatever it is that they're going through for a little bit. And I'm really serving my purpose. So I'm thrilled to be doing it again. And we're actually going to be doing more films together in the future. So two more films slated for sometime in the next few years. So wow. we're not stopping anytime soon. Congratulations. So remember the goal comes well, out. I, it sounds like four or five years ago. It, it's kind of an mm -hmm. inspirational type movie. It's a very feel good movie. And then you're saying that per the yeah. perfect race that, that came out yesterday is the sequel to that movie. Right. It's a follow up film. So there's only a couple cast members from the first film that are going to be in the second one. It features a lot of different players and, we transition from cross country in the first film to track in the second one. So it's not something that's going to be exactly the same. People that love the first film, though, I think will like this one as well because, you know, the message and the feeling are still there. So you're still going to get hopefully walking away with that really great feeling. Um, but you're going to get to meet new and exciting characters that are experiencing different problems that they walk through uh, throughout the film in this one. Now, I believe your name in the movie is Courtney. Um, I guess to kind of explain yes. to everybody, you know, who is Courtney and what is what is really your role? Right. So Courtney Smith Donnelly is the character that I play. And she, in the first film, 
is a young woman who's just graduated college and is taking on the role of a cross-country coach at a small, private, all-girls Christian school. And the kind of the trouble that she walks through herself is she's running into uh, a lot of tension with parents who are questioning her kind of unconventional training methods for cross-country. They've had a coach there for years and years that they love who has done the same training regimen year in and year out and gotten great results. And she's kind of coming in and shaking it up and gets a lot of friction with the parents. She also serves as a mentor to the girls, somebody that they can come to. And I think we all have people like that in our lives, people that we can remember throughout, you know, our years in school or early on in our careers, somebody that we could go to and talk to and seek advice from. And so she's there for the girls. And in the second film, she's actually moved on to coaching collegiate track. And it comes with a whole new set of problems and coworkers and uh, relationship issues that were really fun and exciting to walk through. And in this film, I got to work uh, opposite Clarence Gilliard, which was an incredible experience. Um, for those people that are listening that don't know, Clarence was in Walker, Texas Ranger, working opposite Chuck Norris. He was in Top Gun. He was in oh, Matt Walk. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. forget his call so, sign in Top Gun, but I do remember who he is. Yes. He's and just such a wonderful, wonderful man. You know, anytime you're working on a project and you're working with uh, a a name or a celebrity that's bigger than you, that's going to be nerve wracking. And I know I was nervous before he came on set, just not knowing what to expect, right? You don't know uh, who this person is and what their on-set etiquette or behavior is going to be like. And they really set the tone. The biggest name always really does have the responsibility of setting the tone. And we couldn't have gotten luckier with Clarence. He's so gracious. He's so patient. He's so giving and just was such a pleasure to work with. And his performance in this was incredible. And I just feel lucky that I got to sit in the room with him, but to be able to work scenes with him and have him give me advice and, you know, rehearse with me was, was just, oh, it was incredible. And I'm so, so grateful for that experience. And I know that everybody's going to love seeing him now on film because a lot of the work that he does now is teaching or theater and so i think that there's a lot of his fans that are going to be really excited to see him in film again well that's cool that you got to work with him and have that experience because i've heard both sides of the envelope and i know a lot of people in hollywood have had people who pretty much act exactly the opposite and make it hell for them so i'm glad you got that experience oh yeah and the thing is is like i said earlier our crew and our cast, it's like a family. There's a really great dynamic on our set. And anytime somebody else is coming in the mix, it's, it can totally change the experience. And I've had that experience before working with different celebrities where you leave the day and you feel, you know, <laughs> you don't feel great. And I, I'm so grateful to Clarence. And, you know, working with somebody like that shows you how you want to be. Because the goal, obviously, right, is to get to be that person, get to be the person that comes in that, you know, sets an example for younger actors to show them, you know, how to be gracious and humble and giving and make everybody feel comfortable and at ease. And that's how you leave a legacy. And so I was really grateful to get to watch him and and to work alongside him. Now, movies aren't all you're doing. I understand that you uh, appeared on an episode of The Vampire Diaries. Tell us about that. Yes, I did. So I was actually in college when I was on The Vampire Diaries. I I, that was another incredible experience. I worked with Nina Dobrev and Ian Sommerhalder, who are both, I mean, the exact 
same. They were kind. My mom was there with me. They were sweet to my mom. They were really welcoming. It was a fun and a warm set. And it was cool. It was, you know, I got to get eaten by Lauren Cohen, who was on The Walking Dead. I got bit <laughs> by her. I died in a parking lot. My grandmother hated it. She was like, oh, don't do anything like that again. I don't want to watch that. It was just too violent but I had a great time it's a it's a really good show I started watching it before I auditioned and was totally hooked and um it was fun because that show has a really really big loyal fan base so getting to go on that was really exciting for me and it's been years but the fun thing about shows like that you know I still get checks in the mail all the time from Vampire Diaries I'm like it's the gift that keeps on giving hey any any check in the mail is a good check Oh, yeah. Mailbox money is the best kind of money. (laughs) And then uh, a few years after that, I did Nashville here in town, which was also fun. Um, That's pretty popular It was another great experience. It was really popular. And I'm working now, and I've been auditioning for Episodics a lot lately, and I would love to do that. That's one of my big goals is is to land on an Episodic somewhere doing something because you really get the opportunity to dig into a character there and work day in and day out with the same crew. And I would love to have that, love to have that opportunity. So that's something I'm really working hard toward. Well, and you know, you're in a great position, you know, I think over the years, it's really evolved to where Nashville and Atlanta have now become, you know, like Hollywood part two, basically. I mean, there's so many studios and production companies that are doing a lot of the stuff down there in the South. Um, that it gives you a lot of opportunities. Oh, it's insane. Growing up, that wasn't here. To think that a television show would ever be shot in Nashville was something that, you know, people would have laughed at at the time. And, you know, Tyler Perry, I think, is really responsible for making Atlanta what it is. And now, I think several years ago, somebody told me there was as many films made there as in Los Angeles. And for me, that's a huge gift because it's a four-hour commute down there. It gives me, you know, having that access to such a huge market is incredible. It just extends your network of opportunity far beyond anything that I ever would have imagined growing up, you know. Didn't he just open his so, studios there like a week or two ago? Am I dreaming? He opened up bigger studios there, so at like a much larger studio space. And I actually just saw a photo from his opening the other night there that was insane. He had fireworks and hundreds of people. And so he, I know he, he's had large studios there for a while and now is expanding his operation. It's just absolutely crazy. And I've had friends that have gotten to work with Tyler Perry that said he really is phenomenal. And, you know, to have that, just his network there, his network of opportunities there, that's enough to keep a huge industry in the city going. So it's incredible what he's done. Yeah, I've heard that as well, that he's one of the most humble billionaires that you'll probably ever come across. Everybody said he's like very gentle, very quiet on set, makes everybody feel comfortable. And like I said, it, the biggest person on set gets to set the tone. And once the person at top is doing that, it just trickles down. And I think that's why you've seen him be so successful. It's you know part of the reason why you've seen him be so successful is just kind of the respect that he gives everybody involved. And so I think that that's wonderful. You know, I was watching you host the prelims and you did an incredible job. And I'm like, you know <laughs> what? Maybe one day I'll get to host with Tim. I want to be up hey, there hosting uh, with you. You did an absolutely incredible job. Well, thank you. I would love to do that. And, you know, live event hosting, that's tough. Was that tough for you? You know, I, I feel at home on a stage and I, I, I have, I, it's something weird about me that I don't, I don't think a lot of people understand. When I get in front of an audience, I, I like live there. That's like, I am so mm-hmm. comfortable in that situation more than I would be in front of, you know, a, 
a small group in a classroom. I don't know why I'm like that. I've never really understood it, to be quite honest with you. But yeah, when I get those big audiences and I get a a lot of production around me and big lights and cameras and teleprompters, it's like, I'm home. This is good for me. So I really enjoy that. Yeah, it it definitely showed in the broadcast. You did a wonderful job. And especially there's so many moving parts and pieces in live production that people don't see behind the scenes. And so to do that so seamlessly was just incredible. So uh, I, I said, one day, that. Tim and I are going to do this together. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I don't, I don't know what's uh, in store for next year yet, but if they happen to call me again and they're asking about a co-host, I will certainly bring up your name for them. Oh yeah. You got, you gotta, you gotta go back. Yeah. One, I'll, I'll work my way up there one day with you. <laughs> well, that'd be fun. I would enjoy that. Now, I don't think a lot of people uh, know that not only are you an actress, but if they saw Miss USA 2017, they know that you're also a lawyer. And, you know, those are two jobs that you don't normally see combined. And I I guess my biggest question is, how the heck do you split being a lawyer and being an actress, especially when you're doing big films like you're doing? Well, and it's not something that traditionally people would be able to do, because normally when you graduate law school, people either accept a clerkship with the courts or they move into a big firm. That's kind of the traditional road after law school. I've been really lucky that I've you know, had this mentor who has been there for me since before law school throughout and after who has his own small practice. And he kind of just has an open door policy where he said, Hey, if things get slow or if I need a lot of help, come into the office. We've always got work to do. I can show you the ropes. I can teach you how to do all of the things that you need to do really to work day in and day out in the law firm, because, you know, you learn the law in law school, but you learn how to be a lawyer in the firm. And I'm so gracious to my mentor who's been so good to me and so incredibly supportive of my career as well. You know, doesn't miss a film premiere, was at Miss USA, has done the whole thing. And it's certainly not an opportunity that I think is extended to a lot of people because traditionally law is a full-time position. And it's been fun for me to even watch Chesley this year negotiate the balance because it's certainly not easy, but I know that she's still you know, is going to be involved in the legal field and she's doing hosting and she's Miss USA. And so it's fun to see other girls that are out there doing it as well. And I think it's nice for me. I love the work that I do with the firm. It's really rewarding. It can be creative. It can be very exciting, but it's nice for me to also have the entertainment industry where I get to go and be very artistic and collaborative and kind of just engage with that network of people that I've had in my life for so long. And I'm really uh, so grateful that I'm able to <laughs> to do both and um, kind of go back and forth as I need to, because freelancing is tough. And I think a lot of the girls that you talk to probably know that. Trying to do film or television or print full-time, even if you are in some of the busiest markets, that isn't always practical or possible. And it's not impossible, but if you have something else that you love that you can do to just fill in those gaps when you really need to, it really is nice. It's nice to have that security and it's nice, you know, for your mind to engage both parts of your mind. And I've had so many people ask me about that. People asked about it a lot at Miss USA too, how I was doing both, how I was being Miss to Miss USA, preparing for Miss USA and completing my last year of law school. And at the time I I was at National School of Law, which is a part-time executive program. So I worked all during the day And I went to school for four hours at night. And I think that I'm one of those people that just likes to be going constantly. I I really need to have my mind engaged. I need to be busy. I need to have a goal that I'm working toward. And I've always been like that. And 
I loved that. It was a challenge for me to do that when I was in school and preparing for Miss USA. And, I, you know, in a lot of ways, nothing has changed. I'm still doing it. I'm still pursuing film opportunities and trying to advance my legal career. I've been doing a lot of really great CLEs lately. And I just, I want it all. And I don't feel like, uh, you know, you should have to choose. I think especially, you know, you talk to so many women that do so many things. They don't have to just be just a model or just an attorney or just a nurse or, you know, you really can have it all. And I think that when you start to believe that, you'll find a way for it to work. Well, and I think you're finding that more and more these days where one career isn't necessarily always the right route. I mean, it is nice to focus right. all of your, your time and energy into one thing and really becoming good at that. But um, mm-hmm. I, you know, you're a good example. I'm a good example. Chesley's a good example of people who you know, they have multiple talents and they're figuring out, well, how can I do both? And, you know, maybe make a little extra money doing both rather than just saying, I have a nine to five. I go to that. I come home and that's my my job. Um, I think people, you know, they're they're more open to thinking, you know, maybe I can do some fun stuff on the weekends and still, you know, if it be the case, manage a family, et cetera. Right. And I think now more than ever, we're seeing such a rise in entrepreneurship that people are having their own business and they're getting to set their own schedules and decide what it is that they do. And they're getting to honor all of the parts of them and that they, that need to be fulfilled or that they want to express or that they want to explore. And I I love seeing that. And I, I hope that I can be an example or people like Chesley can be an example to people coming up behind us that you can do it all because I've had so many people tell me, well, if you want to pass the bar, you're going to have to stop working. If you want to graduate law school, you can't do Miss Tennessee USA. If you want to do Miss USA, you need to quit law school. And I think it's so easy to give in and listen to the people that tell you you can't do something. But I want to be one of the people that other people can look at and say, if she did it, so can I. Because it's just a lie. You really, you can. And and with the right attitude and, and dedication, it's completely possible. Yeah. And, you know, when you're hearing from people like that, they're speaking about what they believe their limitation is, not yours. And, you know, I think right, you kind of got to just take that with a, a grain of salt and move on. Um, and in terms of yeah. law, um, I was at Miss USA when you uh, made the top 10 and they played your excerpt video. And I do remember you talking about uh, an area of law that was very interesting to you, which was um, mm-hmm. working on income equality in the entertainment industry for women. Is that where right. you, you kind of concentrate your practice? Or are you in other areas? Right now, I'm working in business litigation. And that is because the the mentor that has you know been with me from the beginning, that's the area of concentration of his firm. I have reached out to entertainment lawyers in the last few months because that's still something that I'm passionate about and still something that I want to have a hand in seeing realized. And so that's one of my big goals for the next few years is getting my feet wet with entertainment law. And occasionally in our firm, we we get to do that. And even on my own, I have opportunities with friends of mine that approach me and say, hey, here's the deal that I've been offered. What do you think? Here's this contract. Can you look at it? Can I ask for more? And being able to help in, in a small way has been really great. And I feel like you know, I've honored that and been true to that in the way that I can, but I definitely am still interested in doing that on a smaller scale because I think that the conversation about income inequality isn't done because it's not something that's been realized. And it's, I know for me personally, it's been great to feel like I have the power of my legal education and the power of being an attorney behind me because every time I come to the table, I have the confidence to know that I can get what's right for me and the people around me. 
and and that's been wonderful. And so I'm hoping that some of the lawyers I've been speaking to recently will really be an asset to me in moving forward and pursuing that goal. Now, entertainment lawyers, um, I, I know I probably know four or five of them, and most of them tend to moonlight as agents. Is that something you're interested mm-hmm. in as well? I've thought about that down the road. My talent agent actually is an attorney as well. And it's really cool for me to have that experience with him because he's making great strides for income inequality. He always negotiates for talent to be paid more and for his male and female talent to get the same rate. And that's something that's really awesome. And watching him work has definitely inspired me. And I think that, you know, at some point in the future, maybe, I never say no. I never say no that I wouldn't do it because I think that it's something (laughs) that would be really interesting. And who knows with me, like I said, I'd love to be, I always want to be learning. I always want to be evolving. I always want to be doing more. So I can definitely see myself doing that in the future. And some of the attorneys that I've spoken to recently that work in um, entertainment law are also agents or managers or, you know, have been in the camps of some of these huge celebrities. One in particular has a lot of A-listers in Hollywood. They've been in their camps for years and years and years. And they become part of the team. And so it is definitely something that interests me. So stay tuned. We'll see. <laughs> well, let, let's talk about your pageant journey. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, most of the people who know you saw you at Miss USA in 2017. Um, but let's kind of go back a little bit. Talk about how you got into it. Um, did you always compete in Tennessee and, and just kind of what motivated you to do it? No. So Miss Tennessee USA 2017 was my first pageant. I had always wanted to do it when I was I think 14, I signed up for Miss Tennessee Teen USA and then chickened out last minute. And it was something that I always wanted to do because I knew a lot of women that were Miss Tennessee USA. They were always people I looked up to, not only because they were beautiful, but because they were these really successful, powerful, confident women. And I wanted to be like them. And for them, they always spoke about how the experience really kind of instilled that confidence in them and how much it helped them in their career and how they used it as a springboard. And I was interested in it from, gosh, the time I was five, um, to Wanda as a friend of mine who was, you know, Miss Tennessee USA 1997 and visited my kindergarten class for her Road to Miss USA video. And I think that since then, I always had it in my mind. It was something that I wanted to do. And I just was always too scared. And I think I let a lot of things that people said to me make me feel like it was something that couldn't happen for me. And that's maybe why I'm so passionate about being a voice or an example for people who experience that. Because I had people tell me, oh, well, you're too short. You can't do it. You're too fat. You can't do it. You're, you, know, you don't look like a runway model. You can't do it. And I let people tell me that for so long that I started believing it. And then the year that I signed up for Miss Tennessee USA, I made a New Year's resolution that I would no longer make fear-based decisions. And year after year, I let fear tell me that I couldn't be there. And I said, it's enough. This is my last year of eligibility. I'm not letting fear tell me that I can't be there. I signed up in January for the pageant in October, and I worked every single day to prepare for the pageant. And I walked in, and I felt truly like I've done everything that I can do, and now I just have to be here enjoy the experience and leave everything I can out there. And I ended up, I ended up winning, which was incredible. And then I was so lucky to be, you know, a Greenwood title holder because Kim is so very organized, so very generous and has just orchestrated a gigantic team of the best sponsors, truly 
that our region has to offer. And I prepared every single day for Miss USA. Every single day we worked on something. And I, I had the same feeling when I got to Miss USA. I thought everything that I could possibly do, I have done. I'm prepared for every single day that I'm here. I'm prepared for the competition. I'm laser focused on this. And I had a wonderful time. I, I, I mean, it was an incredible year. Miss USA was an incredible experience. And I really do think that if I had to do it all over again, I would. And I would do, I mean, there isn't anything I can say I would go back and do differently. And I'm, I mean, looking at it now, you know, I, I won Miss Tennessee USA almost three years ago, exactly, which is wild that, you know, time goes by that quickly, but it was incredible. And the, you know, there's this whole conversation around pageants now about whether they exploit women or whether they, you know, are subjective for women or subjugate them to, you know, any kind of like just, you know, debasement or things like that. And Mm -hmm. I've never for a moment felt that my experience throughout the entire year of being Miss Tennessee USA and being at Miss USA, I never felt more empowered. I never have felt more like I was really optimizing you know, just optimizing myself. Like I was pushing myself to be the best that I could be. And I was, you know, reaching fitness goals that I'd had forever. I was learning these incredible interview skills that I've used in auditions and job interviews and huge meetings. And I was making friends that, you know, now I'm, I'm asking to be part of my wedding and I'm, you know, creating this huge network of sponsors in my community. I'm getting involved with charities that I've always wanted to be a leader in. And I'm so grateful for the experience. And I'm so glad that I didn't let fear stop me then because my time as a title holder is like a gift that keeps on giving. I'm, I'm so grateful. And it was a wonderful experience. Well, and, I, you know, the more and more I talk to all of you, the more and more I hear stories that are very similar to yours. And I think mm-hmm. uh, what, I, what I'm finding, at least just kind of through my own research, is that, you know, these narratives, as you, as you talked about, you know, of you know, women being subjected and exploited and all this kind of stuff, it's, mm-hmm. it's really just a core group of people who are negative and very loud. And they, their voices are heard. <laughs> and, and that's what mm-hmm. everybody who hasn't competed in pageants is hearing. And so, you know, numbers are down and things like that. When I think if they listen to stories like yours, it's like, actually, not much has changed. It's just, you know, people want right. to, you know, turn it into something to, for a, you know, political purposes, which sucks. But at the same time, uh, I'm, I'm just glad to hear that you had a great experience. And I know, by the way, I had a great experience. You had yeah. somebody you had somebody else that you inspired. And, and I think you made really good friends with. And that is Georgia Deanna Johnson. She spoke so highly of you on oh. our podcast. Um, my baby D. I love her so, <laughs> so much. And, you know, walking away with that friendship truly is one of the greatest gifts of my year that was the best part of everything and to have somebody like that to walk through it all with was oh my we had the best time we had so many hilarious stories and you know so many times that even you know then and since then she's been there for me and just is such a wonderful person a wonderful friend and I love her so much she's just one of the most loyal caring generous kind of spirits. I always say about Deanna, to know her is to love her. You can't know her and not just love her. She just, she is who she is. She makes you laugh. There's no, 
Yeah, she makes you laugh. There's no pretense. She's this gorgeous woman who's so talented. She's good at absolutely everything that she does. But when you sit down with her, she's just a good country girl who there's no pretense. There's no, you know, falsity. She's just who she is. And she sees everybody for who they are and accepts them and loves them for it. And that really, truly was the, you know, the best part of my year. She's, she's incredible. Yeah, I'm glad you two got to know each other. Um, I do want to ask you something about Miss USA. I think you have a unique perspective on it because I know a lot of girls deal mm-hmm. with this. I haven't really tackled it too much in other interviews. And that is uh, when you go to Miss USA, um, there's, of course, the uh, we'll call them the boy boards or whatever you want to call them, where, you know, predictions are made. Right. And names start coming up as, oh, she's going to be a front runner and she's got a real shot at it. And uh, I know that you were. Uh, Deanna was a, a favorite. I think Utah, if I'm, if I'm recalling the correct mm-hmm. pageant, she was a, a front runner. All these predictions. How do you digest or either pay attention or not pay attention to those things before competing on a national stage? Well, I think it's hard to say that you can completely ignore it because you can't. There's always going to be people that are going to tag you on pages on Instagram and there's going to be people that send you things that they've seen offline. And so I don't think there's really any way to ignore it. I think it's what you do with the information that counts. And actually, Deanna, during my year, shared with me, of all things, a children's book called Punicello that is kind of the attitude that I adopted on any information, good or bad. And it's about this little group of wooden dolls that live in a village. And (laughs) if they see a doll that they think is beautiful and good, they stick gold stars on it. And if they see a doll that's bad, they stick black dots on it. And the beautiful people have all the wonderful things that society can offer them. And the others are just kind of outcast. And one day Punicello, who has only black dots, sees another doll that doesn't have any at all and said, how did, how did this happen? How, how did you go without getting a star or a dot? And she said, every day when people stick something on me, no matter what it is, I go up to our maker's house and he takes them all off. And he says that I'm good just how I am. And I think that that's what you have to do. I mean, you have to ignore the good and the bad, and you have to just focus on you and say, I'm enough. I'm doing everything I can. I'm doing this to the best of my ability, and that's all that matters. At the end of the day, if I can walk away and say, I did my best, I gave it my all, and I worked hard, what anybody says about me isn't going to affect how I feel about myself. And that can be hard to do because, you know, I love the pageant community because they are so supportive, but they really do have a way of making all of their opinions very pervasive in comment sections and posts and boards and Facebook groups and articles and everything. But I think you just have to hold on to the people around you and be sure of yourself and make sure that the only opinion that counts is yours. The funny thing about those people that put post those comments, you know, some of the most vocal people, um, I'll Mm -hmm. see them at the, I'll see them at these shows. And the funny thing is, you see them in the lobby, you walk up to them, they are as quiet as can be. Once they're behind mm-hmm. a keyboard, total different story. And it's like they love to just spout off. And what you just said, is, I, I've always felt like is probably the most needed phrase in the pageant industry, and that is you are enough. I mean, for everybody listening, yeah. I just said it this weekend, uh, this past weekend in Alabama. I'll say it again this weekend in Louisiana. It is. It's that fact that, you know, there's 
it's one thing to get constructive criticism, maybe from like your pageant director. Hey, we need to do these things before Miss USA. It's another to just say, Mm -hmm. she's ugly. She doesn't belong next, you know, move on. Those are the hurtful comments that I've seen hurt girls that literally do go to nationals. And the week before Mm -hmm. they are just a train wreck because somebody absolutely smoked them online and just tore them apart and they're just feeling it. Well, and the thing is, is that the only power that those words have are the power that you assign them because, you know, Deshauna was there our year and she was talking about how somebody posted about her and said, uh, is DC even showing up at the pageant? I don't know. She's not going to win. She has too skinny of ankles. And that didn't stop her. I'm like, guess what? She ended up winning. And it doesn't matter if somebody online thinks that you're, you know, too short, too fat, your ankles are skinny, that you're not facially beautiful enough. Their words have no bearing on the actual outcome at all. And if you choose to assign power to anonymous people online, that's the only way that anything that they say is going to have any actual outcome is if you let it. And the thing is that I, I try and I try and keep in mind is you have to have sympathy for those people, right? As hard as it is, it's your job to, if you do see something like that, to stop and be like, wow, I've always heard it said, hurting people hurt people. And somebody in that person's life did something to them that made them think it was okay to say something that terrible about somebody else publicly. And to think about what they went through to get to the point that they're doing that makes me hurt for them. And, you know, they, they do, even though they say terrible things, they deserve your sympathy. And, you know, give them a moment where you're like, I feel really bad for you, but that's all you're going to get. And you have to. That's the only option you have because the experience is what you make it. I don't think people know that. In the USA system, once you win your title, your state title at least, I I can't speak to your experience at at the national level, but you decide what appearances you do. You decide what charities you're involved with. You decide what events you go to. You decide how you're going to, you know, style your hair, makeup, dress at Miss USA. The decisions are yours. And the experience is yours and it's up to you to mold it and it's going to be as good or as bad as you make it. And I'm really, really glad that I was able to have such a great experience. And speaking of empowerment, um, in addition to what you do with uh, acting and law, um, you also work with the Kindness for Kids Foundation. I know that's a, mm-hmm. a big part of kind of, you know, what you like to do in terms of volunteerism. Talk about it. Well, whenever I was Miss Tennessee USA, I reached out to a friend of mine who I had worked with before. He is an executive at Southwestern Advantage Publishing. It's one of the oldest companies in Nashville, but they're also a national and international company. And through Southwestern Advantage, I was able to donate an unlimited amount of books to children in my community. So I did lots of school visits with Southwestern Advantage, donating books, visiting kids, talking to them about the importance of kindness and childhood literacy. And after the pageant was over, I know I've talked to you about this a lot, Tim. There's kind of this void in your life. And believe it or not, it's hard once you're not a title holder anymore to call a school and say, hey, I would love to come and donate books and read to your kids. When you have the title, it opens up so many doors for you. But the moment that that's done, it becomes more difficult. And I really was missing that part of my life. I was missing that involvement with, with kids and, and you know, creating the conversation about kindness. And my friend at Southwestern let me know about the Inspire Kindness company that had just launched. That was a, a division of Southwestern Advantage. 
and their sister foundation, the Kindness for Kids Foundation, he said, you really should contact them. Mac Anderson is who's at the head of it. Reach out to Mac and just see how you can get involved. So I contacted Mac Anderson, who, Tim, I don't know if you know, he's an inspirational speaker. A lot of people know actually his work. He created the posters that are in every single classroom that say, you know, it's it's like a black border. There's a picture of an eagle, and it oh, says yeah. inspiration. <laughs> those were, those and then the little, very big. yeah, yes, they're huge. And so that was his company. He started that, and you know, he's just a wonderful person. He is an alumna with Southwestern Advantage, and now I started this company. And I reached out to Mac, and he was so kind. He listened to my story, listened how I wanted to be involved, and offered me a position on the board of the Kindness for Kids Foundation. The Kindness for Kids Foundation is essentially um, a servant of Southwestern Advantage and an arm of Inspire Kindness. And what we do specifically is we have created and are distributing kindness curriculum to thousands of schools. And so we work with different people like Kindness Rocks, Megan Murphy, and bring them in to help us develop this curriculum that then we can implement in school. We send workbooks that talk about, you know, how to spot somebody who maybe is the victim of bullying or ways that you can be kind to your neighbor, why kindness is important, things like that. And that's the very first step of the Kindness for Kids Foundation. We started a year ago and spreading this curriculum and seeing schools get it and be so thrilled to have it and say what a gift it's been to their class and just how it's changed the culture of their school and is helping to eliminate bullying in a lot of these schools for me is huge because that's something that I'm so passionate about and I'm so grateful that they extended me the opportunity to be on the board and, you know, getting to be that involved and hearing all the stories and working directly with the people that are developing the curriculum and having incredible foundations like Kindness Rocks is such a dream for me. And it's nice that that part of my life didn't have to be over just because my year as a title holder was. Could I clone you? Oh, my God. <laughs> I wish you would, because then I could do, I could be doing more. That would be great if I if I could have a clone. I could have somebody, you know, in, in the law office for me and another one doing my workout and somebody else out on set. That would be, <laughs> that would be great. Well, I just love to hear all that you're doing. And, and the funny thing is, if that's not all enough, you have a YouTube channel. You do a show called Alleyways that you produce, by the way, which is crazy. Yeah. And then you also do, from what it appears, our travel vlog. So kind of just talk about your YouTube channel, all the things that you're doing on there. Yeah. Well, that's another thing. I, I know that, Tim, you and I have spent time talking about once the pageant journey ends, a lot of times girls are at the loss for what to do because and you spend searching. so much time. Right. You're searching for what's next and you've spent so much time in the pursuit of a dream that is now over. And when that happened for me, I had a difficult time transitioning because I had invested so much time into the title and I was looking for ways to, you know, fill the gap for, you know, community service that I was doing. And I got to do that for kindness for kids. And then I got back into work and I threw myself into the bar. And then one thing that was so interesting was after my year was done, I had all these people now following me on social media who had been so supportive and so interested in what I was doing. And I no longer had title holder content to share with them. And so I thought, well, what what do people want? What are these people that are following me? I want to give them value when they come to my social media channels. So what is it that I can do to keep this audience that I have engaged? Because having a following and having an audience is like currency now. 
And I realized I was getting a lot of questions about, hey, how did you style your hair for Miss USA? How did you do your makeup? What was your workout routine? Where do you shop? What's your diet like? What, you know, just all these different kinds of questions. And I saw that as an opportunity to give valuable content and keep my audience engaged rather than ending my year and transitioning back into regularly scheduled programming and that audience kind of, you know, unfollowing and shifting away. And so I saw the opportunity to create a vlog and I said, you know what, I'm going to create this vlog with the goal that one day I'm going to have my own television show because this is a great way for me on my own time with my own energy, my own materials, my own schedule to create content and just kind of have total control over it. So I started creating videos to answer the questions I was getting in my inbox from my friends that I had met online and now were followers and throwing those videos up and got really great response to a lot of the videos. And, you know, of course, on any channel, there's, I, I put up like a chicken pot pie video that's got 65 <laughs> views. But I look back and I'm like, you know what? I'm leaving the chicken pot pie up there. I'm, I made I think it. I saw one today that was like a buffalo chicken dip or something like that. The buffalo chicken dip doesn't have many views, but you know what? I'm going to leave it <laughs> it's up there. It's got mine. Yeah, well, good. I'm glad. It's a good recipe. It really is. And fall is the perfect time for it. But I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and do a little bit of everything. I'm going to make this lifestyle because you never know what your audience is going to latch on to. And then at the end of the day, when I've got enough videos, I'm going to cut together a reel and say, hey, submit it for, you know, if I want to host a cooking show or if I want to host a travel show or if I want to host a fitness or beauty or anything like that. And in the meantime, I'm going to be having all this content. So about a year after I had started the vlog, I got a call from actually uh, somebody who had seen Remember the Goal who owned a television station here in the Southeast from Atlanta up to Chattanooga. He's got half a million homes in his market. And he said, look, I've been watching your blog. I love what you're doing. We need, we've got a time slot on my network. Could you cut me a 15 minute show once a week nice. and I'll put it on television? Yeah. And so now for, I think the past 18 weeks, I've aired four times a day on KBN Network and here in the Southeast. And so, so you shoot a I television really show on your phone. Well, I actually went ahead. You guys have to invest in yourself if you're listening. I know it's scary <laughs> sometimes, but I splurged. Actually, Deanna helped me pick out my camera. I got a vlogging camera. I have a DJI Osmo, a DJI Spark, and I got a GoPro Hero. So I went ahead and just invested like anything else, you know, anytime you start a business, you're going to have those investment costs. You know, it costs a lot to even start a podcast and you're going to have those initial costs, but it's all going to be worth it. It's going to pay off in the end. And it's been fun for me. It was cool to see, you know, in such a short time, that dream become a reality. But now for me, it's nice that I have the vlog because I don't have to wait for the phone to ring from my agent for me to be doing something creative. Because like we said earlier, freelancing can be tough and you really do have to count on your team to make it happen and you put the work in, but your agent, your manager, your agency, those are the people that are going to be out there doing the submissions and you're not guaranteed that you're going to get something every week. You know, you're not even guaranteed you're going to get something every month and that's the way it is. And so for me to have the opportunity to be essentially hosting and editing and shooting is is, you know, gives me control over kind of the, the creativity that I want to express and I want to engage in every single week. And it's so nice for me because I love doing that. And it's also taught me a lot, right? Because 
film and television so collaborative. There's lighting and audio and camera and wardrobe and hair and makeup and I'm having to do it all myself and it's giving me an entirely new appreciation for all the people that I get to work with. So it hasn't been easy. It still isn't easy. It's a lot of work, but I've gotten great response from KBN and my vlog is growing. I'm really proud. We're, we're almost to a thousand subscribers, which I'm sure that's, that's not a lot to some people, but when you start at zero and chicken pot pies only getting so many views, you get pretty excited when you're inching towards a thousand, which is, you know, the monetization mark. So well, I'm loving you. doing I'm inspired. that. I'm inspired. I got to be. <laughs> good, good. And also, you're, I believe you're engaged. I am, yes. So I got engaged um, on me and my fiance's three year anniversary, June 26th. Congratulations. And we are getting married in March. And we are kind of the most lax couple ever on wedding planning. We're kind of like <laughs> letting everybody else do everything for us. And my sister kind of works in the wedding industry and his aunt works in the event industry. And we've been really lucky that everybody's going to come around and just offered helping hands. And, you know, to me, I'm, I think that with a lot of pageant girls, you've already had big days in your life, right? It's like you've had the moment where you've done like the big dress and the hair and everybody's watching. And I think in some ways that's really great when you come to your wedding because you get to shift the focus to like, hey, this is just about standing with the person that I love and all the people that we love and celebrating ourselves and making this thing official. And I really am, am looking forward to, to our, you know, of course, our wedding and, and being married and married life and all, all the fun and challenges that that'll bring. So a lot going on. Yeah, and I also like have a niece. Right. I, yes, I've got, I have a brand new niece also. Oh, congratulations. Six, yes, thank you. A six-day-old niece, Evangeline, who is just sweet and precious. It's my first niece, my parents' first grandchild, so... Everything, you know, you know how life is. Everything's always happening all at once. So I'm, I'm just so, I know I've said it a hundred million times today, but I really do always try and practice gratitude. Hey, gratitude's I'm so important. grateful you for everything going on. You gotta do it. It's a yeah. good example you're setting. So thank you for that. All right. So now that we've uh, figured out that there's pretty much nothing you haven't done, which by the way, congratulations oh, on that. Gosh. Um, it's time for my Ali Sutton get to know you questions. So 10 questions, uh, just totally have some fun with these. They are just meant for people to get to know you in a totally different way. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Number one, I think I know the answer to this based on our conversation. Are you a morning or a night person? A morning person. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> I figured it. <laughs> yes. Number two, what's your favorite hobby? Ooh, travel. I want to go everywhere. I've got a whole list of everywhere I want to go. And that is my absolute favorite. Which place is next? Next, I want to do a, it, it, it's, it's called Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween. Uh, <laughs> it's basically Halloween in Disney World. That's what I'm dying, dying, dying to do. And so that's what I want to do next. And I also would love, I've never been to Europe. And so I would love to hit anywhere in Europe, but my little sister and I keep talking, and actually Deanna and Chavi and I keep talking about doing a trip to like Greece. So maybe Greece too. There you go. Number three, what's the one thing that annoys you the most? Rude people. Weird? Rude. Oh, rude people. Rude people. Faithful people. <laughs> rude people, yep. No, <laughs> weird people, they're fine. <laughs> they can hang. <laughs> Number four, what's the strangest thing that you think you've ever eaten? Huh. 
Well, and whenever I've been traveling, I have eaten a lot of strange things. Probably frog's legs. Frog's legs, that's probably the strangest thing I've ever eaten. Okay. Number five, what's one of your weird quirks? One of my weird quirks? Man, I feel like we need to ask some of the people around me. Uh, what's something? I floss a lot. I floss sometimes like three times a day. Maybe that's weird. I just, I don't know. I like. It might, it might be weird, but it's not stand. a bad thing. Yeah, I can't. Okay, good. I'm glad because sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't know that this is normal, but I can't stand to like leave my house or go to bed without flossing. And I also am really into <laughs> the floss that I get. Like, I, there's only certain kinds of floss that you can You're use. You're a floss so snob. Maybe that's our record. Yes, I definitely am a floss snob, yes. <laughs> Number six, uh, describe yourself in three words. Driven, impatient, and I really, really hope kind. Number seven, if you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be and why? Ooh, uh, can they be dead? Yeah. Not that I want to be dead, but I would love to have <laughs> traded lives. With Grace Kelly, because I have such a, an interest and fascination in the old studio system, and then also her life as Princess of Monaco and her involvement with the Red Cross. And I think that she just did so much and was so interesting to me. And I know I've spoken a lot about her publicly, but I would love to have to have traded, you know, vibes with her for a day and work with Hitchcock and Jimmy Stewart or Cary Grant or any of those people. Grace Kelly, okay. Uh, number eight, um, I think you kind of talked a little bit about it during our conversation, but what is your dream job? All of it. <laughs> all of it. That's, that's, that's all I know to say because I have so many things that I want to do and I would love to do, and I don't want to roll anything out. I w would love to do episodic television. I'd love to also at the same time be an entertainment attorney that had my own practice and was representing my own clients. And I always want to and have to have involvement with the charity that I'm passionate about, whether that is continuing as a board member for, you know, Kindness for Kids or starting my own organization that kind of serves as an amalgamation for all of my crazy areas of interest. That's something I always want to do. So, Number nine, what's the first thing that you do when you get up in the morning? first thing I do when I get up in the morning is uh, I unplug my phone. I have my phone on my charger and now that I'm thinking about it, I just unplug my phone and it's a habit that I want to break. I check my notification, which I think is really bad. I don't think that's the best way to I start today. I think it's pretty common, Yeah, next, next time we talk, I want to be like, oh, I meditate. But let's be real, I'm, I'm unplugging my phone and checking it maybe. Okay, well, I'll, I'll hold you to that then. The meditation needs to stop. <laughs> Uh, number yeah, 10, exactly. what is your favorite movie quote? Favorite movie quote? Gosh, I love films so much. I, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't get much more classic than something like Casablanca, right? Like, we'll always have Paris. Let's do <laughs> that. that. That's awesome. Okay, very good. Very good. Well, you're yeah. off the hook. Nice job. Those were actually, yeah, that, was really, that was really interesting. Well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Tim, thank you so much. This is so nice. And yeah, you I know, I really enjoyed chatting. I always enjoy chatting with you, but yeah. it's just nice to, yeah. you, to get it out for everybody else so they can see, hear how talented and uh, how much of a hard worker you are. Well, thank you. And I just, I appreciate you taking the time to shine a light on women and the incredible things that they're doing and 
what you do is so important. And I know that I speak for all of us in the pageant community when I say we appreciate it so much. Well, you're very welcome. And thanks for coming on today. It's great to talk. Good to talk to you. Thanks for listening to today's episode, everybody, and to Allie Sutton Hethcote for her time. Now, if you want to follow Allie's journey on social media, you can check her out on Instagram at Allie Sutton, or you can check out her YouTube channel that we talked about. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you wouldn't mind, please subscribe. You can do so on Spotify, iTunes, the podcast app, Google Play, and YouTube, or just go to lifeafterthecrown.com. And for weekly podcast updates, just follow me on Instagram at Tim Tialdo. Until next time, remember the words of 1 John 3, 6. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin, but anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Have a great week, everybody. 